I'm Liz Hirschnoff-Tolley, and welcome to the Capital Coffee Connection. I'm excited because today we have an amazing guest. And before I introduce her, I really just want to remind everyone why we're doing this podcast. So many times people look at our elected leaders and they say, oh, he's just a politician. Oh, she's just a politician, like as if they're a cutout with just a stump speech. And the goal of the Capital Coffee Connection is to really be able to have a fun cup of coffee and to connect and to share stories. Um, if you think about like the human genome, it pretty much says that everybody on earth, more than 8 billion people, are 99.6% the same. So I look at it and I think, what is the 0.4% that separates us and how do we use our differences actually to strengthen us collectively? I was thinking about my guest today. And you know, there's people out there that they have just one name and people are like, oh, I know exactly who that is. <laughs> and there's amazing women um, who you can just say their name and people are like, I totally know. Cher, Beyonce, yeah. Oprah, oh, yeah. <laughs> Adele, Rihanna, but they're all singers and performers. But today we have an amazing woman who is an elected leader, who is right up there with those women that I just announced. <laughs> um, and she has been for many years fighting for the voiceless, fighting for the marginalized, and has truly looked and seen young people that need to be elevated and supported and made that her real mantra of her life. And um, she's fearless <laughs> and even larger than her strong beliefs is her huge and very generous heart. And that is Maxine. <laughs> so in introducing you, I would like to say welcome, Congresswoman Waters, but welcome Maxine, who everybody knows you by that name. Wow. I'm not so sure, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, right? Yes. It's a great one. So uh, Congresswoman Maxine Waters represents California's 43rd district. That's right. So just to give folks out across the world mm -hmm. what that means. That mm -hmm. means you represent a really big area and mm -hmm. lots of interesting different people. Mm -hmm. So you represent Watts, Westchester, Playa del Rey, Lenox, West Athens, West Carson, Harbor Gateway, El Camino Village, and portions of Gardena, Hawthorne, Lawndale, Lomita, Inglewood, Torrance, all in Southern California. That's right. It's changed a bit. Uh, I don't have Playa del Rey anymore Okay. in Westchester, but the rest of it it's is pretty the big. same. Yeah. It's pretty big. That's right. And really interesting, again, we're not here to talk about politics and policy. <laughs> we're going to talk about heart and humanity. Um, but what I think is so interesting is that in every election, you've You've gotten over 70%, which in politics is a landslide. I've done well. I've yeah. done very well. People have enjoyed voting for you. Well, um, I've gotten good support, and uh, I appreciate it so yeah. very much. And I interact with all of my constituents as much as I can. Which is important. Yeah, yeah. And just to be clear, you've been in the U.S. House of Representatives for over 30 years. That's right. Um, and you are the first woman and first black American to chair the House Financial Services Committee. That's true. And that was from 2019 to 2023. Mm -hmm. And before that, you were 14 or so years in the California State Assembly. So you have really served our country for many years. A long time. A long time. So we're going to thank you for your political work. <laughs> and now we're going to talk a little bit about Maxine. All right. Mm -hmm. So going back in time, you were born in St. Louis, Missouri. That's right. And you are one of... 13 children. That's right. How did your mother do it? And what was it like <laughs> to be one of 13? Well, um, it was a different time. Yeah. And my mother uh, was first married when she was about 16 years old. 
uh, to an older man in the South long before she came to St. Uh, to St. Louis, and uh, there was no talk about birth control or you know ways that women could make decisions, yeah. you know, about their bodies. None of that. And so this young woman, uneducated, married to an older man who didn't have any uh, talents or any real career, uh, she simply bore a lot of children. And uh, we didn't have a lot. It was a life basically of poverty, uh, but uh, we managed. Yeah. She became a very strong woman. And um, no matter what the difficulties were, we were told that we could manage. Uh, she had something that she could say to us all the time, like, make do with what you have. Yes. Very nice. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. And you started working quite young as well. Yes. So what were your first jobs? I worked at Thompson's Restaurants in St. Louis downtown, segregated restaurant. Mm -hmm. I cleaned tables. And we could not eat in the restaurant at that time. We had to eat in the basement if, you know, we had our breaks or lunch. Yeah. Uh, I was a little girl, very tiny, little 13-year-old, uh, but I had a job. And that job helped me uh, to purchase all of my clothes to return to school in September, where I wanted to look as good as anybody else. Of course. <laughs> you still look amazing, so I can understand. And... Um, when you were in school, you went to Vashon High School. That's right. And But you were an athlete back in high school as well? Yes, I've been somewhat of an athlete all my life. Um, untrained for the most part, Yeah. but I ran track. Mm -hmm. I played volleyball, I played basketball, and I'm a swimmer. And so I've been involved in sports uh, all of my life. We were very fortunate in that in St. Louis at the time, they did have community centers in every neighborhood. Right. And right at Bashan, uh, where I went to high school, there was a Olympic-sized swimming pool. And we literally stayed there all day during the summertime. And they had activities inside the community center. They taught us dance. And, of course, that's where yeah. we learned to play volleyball and basketball. So I had a very, very active uh, physically and, and me mentally active uh, childhood. That's amazing. Yeah. And it goes to when you give children opportunities, what they can do with their lives. Absolutely. You know, I went to a school where we had teachers who really cared about us. And I have some stories to tell. Yeah, just give us one really great either story of something that happened or a teacher, because I think what we've been asking folks is to share that experience okay. with them. All right. There was a teacher. Her name was Mrs. Scott. And um, she was very strict and disliked by most of the children there. And she would come into the restrooms to check to see if anyone was playing hooky. Mm -hmm. And she would look up under the stalls and she would chastise you and she would make you go to class, all of those things. I had her for um, one of my classes. I, I don't remember exactly the name of the class, but I do know this. We were assigned uh, to do um, something um, one, one day. We had to turn in this paper the next day. It was like an essay. Mm -hmm. It was something that you cared about or you knew about. And, of course, you know, being Maxine, as I was then, I didn't do my homework. <laughs> uh, but I went to class the next morning, and I remembered, my goodness, 
think I can put this paper together before she collects them. And I thought about what I had seen the night before on television. There was a show that was done by a well-known uh, author. His name was um, Arthur Godfrey, I believe yeah. is his name. And he had a woman on who was an opera singer. She was an African-American woman, and um, she was extraordinary. I'd never seen that before. Right. Her name was Grace Brumbury. So I quickly wrote about Grace Brumbury and the fact that I'd seen that show the night before, and I turned the paper in, and this Miss Scott, who's supposed to be this mean old teacher, loved it. Oh. She put me in her car and took me to Grace Brumbury's home. No that way. very day. That's beautiful. And I was able to present that paper to her and her mother. That's amazing. And I want you to know that there was a wonderful article in the New York Times about a month ago. She passed. Mm -hmm. But she had a wonderful life. She was an extraordinary opera singer. And she sang all over the world. Amazing. But I met her when I was in high school. All because you quickly decided you had yes, to get a paper done. That's right. And you had the opportunity right. to see that show. That's right. That's right. I love it. That's a great story. Um, okay. So after high school, then you moved to L.A. Yes. And what got you to come to L.A. or what was, what was calling for you on the West Coast? Well, when I came to L.A., I was married. I married very young. I came to Los Angeles. And um, we lived with relatives my husband's relatives for a while, uh, and I went to work uh, downtown in a dress factory. That's what I knew to do, and I could get a job very right. quickly. And I didn't have any special talent. I couldn't operate the machines, but they did. I did what is known as clip work. I clipped the threads. Oh yeah, I you know, know clip after work. after the garments right. were made, and so that carried me for a while. Uh, but then I met friends, and um, I heard about the telephone company. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let me try this. I became an operator uh, working for AT&T. And that was when we had uh, the systems where you plug the cards into the yes, holes, et cetera. That, yeah. And I did that um, for a number of years until I learned about Head Start. And my girlfriend and I, who both worked uh, for the telephone company, heard about this war on poverty where there was going to be this program mm -hmm. that was going to give uh, families the opportunities to send their children uh, to Head Start, which would give them an opportunity to get involved with education uh, very early, and parents could determine their children's destiny. Yeah. And so uh, I worked at the telephone company. I learned every uh, uh, code uh, that you had to learn. All of the area codes, I knew them by heart. If you told me your area code, I could tell you exactly where you were exactly from. Exactly where you lived. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that was a lot of learning in what they called overlap. How do you do two or three things at the same time? And so that stays with you for the rest of your life. Exactly. And you find yourself, yeah. you know, utilizing, you know, those skills that were taught to you in a place like uh, the telephone company. Which but, isn't sexy and romantic in the same, like, you know, but it's hard work. It's hard work. And we had to sell telephones. Yeah. I was selling the little pink princess telephones. I had uh, one. I, did. <laughs> <laughs> I remember it, yeah. Well, we were doing that. We got credit for that. Uh, we did all of that until we heard about the war on poverty. My girlfriend and I, and we explored what it was all about. Yes. And I ended up getting a job in Head Start. I had not finished college at the time. 
And I went back to school, and I went to Cal State Los Angeles. I finished college while I was working for Head Start. And, Can you uh, tell a little bit what Head Start is? Because I'm not sure everybody knows. Head Start was a program for preschoolers. It was a program that was a part of the War on Poverty to give uh, families the opportunities to get their children um, introduced to education. And it it was a very good program. It still is. It's still funded by the federal government. And I went to work as one of three in the classroom. At that time, they were still experimenting what's the best way uh, to teach children. They came out with the Montessori Montessori, uh, type teaching, all of that. And uh, I was the third person in the classroom assisting uh, the the teacher and uh, the second to the teacher. And I learned an awful lot, not only about interacting with children and how to you know, get the best out of them and how to appreciate them and respect them. And so Head Start was a very important part of my life. And uh, I went to school. Went, I was uh, attending Cal State LA at the same time that I was working in Head Start. And um, not only did I um, work in Head Start as an assistant teacher, I moved up and I was promoted and I ended up being a supervisor mm-hmm. of volunteer services, yeah. which put me in touch with not only the volunteers, but with the parents. Yeah. And I started to work with parents and create workshops and travel around and do different things, learn different ways, different cultures, because we had our Latinx, we had our you know uh, African-Americans for the most part, and we had Many, at that time, we had many of our Caucasian children. And I was in South Bay for the most part. I was down around uh, Wilmington Mm -hmm. and Torrance area. And so I learned a lot about other cultures and other ways of life. And so it was a big moment for me in my life. And it was then that I decided that I wanted to do something about the way that the funding was handled in the federal government with all of the different programs. And then I learned that it was elected officials that had something to do with all of that. Exactly. And then I got inspired, and um, the rest is history. Well, good. You saved me from my question of what inspired you to get into the becoming an elected official. But you got there naturally, which was seeing a need. Yes. And understanding that there is a way to make a difference. That's right. Uh, through our elected officials in our government. Absolutely, and at that time, the war on poverty was basically very new, and um, we had to lobby very hard to keep it funded. Yeah. And so I learned to organize and work with other groups and organizations that were funded you know, by the federal government, right. and um, that really got me involved in wanting to run for office. Yeah. Uh, but it was um, perhaps Uh, the most important part of my life was Head Start Mm -hmm. and learning how the world works and how the government works, how the systems work, and what you could do to create change and to support those who desperately need it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. How do you balance, and how have you, with having a family flying across the country to D.C.? How do you balance being an amazing leader but a family and 
what what do you do to make it work and how does that work well you know uh, my children were young when i started and i didn't have access to child care right. in the way that you know families would have now but we had the older ladies in the communities mm-hmm. who took care of our children while right. we worked and mrs anderson a lovely old lady who lived in the back house from the house that I lived in, who not only babysat and take care of my children, but on those winter days, she had a pot of hot soup ready for you when you came home. It was a wonderful, Mrs. Anderson, a wonderful relationship. I love it. it. Yes. Yeah. There's a quote that I wanted to read, which I think talks a lot about you, especially because you've been doing this for so long. And you'll know who made this quote, and I'll say only afterwards. It says, what counts in life is not the mere fact that we have lived. It is the difference we have made to the lives of others that will determine the significance of the life we lead. Nelson Mandela. And I know that you had a very special relationship with Nelson Mandela. That's right. But, and I, and I, I think of you when I read this quote because you have worked and you've just explained that how important it is. It's not, it's not about your office, not about a title, but how important it is to make a difference in people's lives. Absolutely. And I go back a little bit uh, to head start before I talk about Nelson. Yeah. Uh, Because um, when we enrolled those children, we had children with learning disabilities. We had children who were not getting uh, physical examinations. They had uh, speech, uh, needed speech therapy, on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And we, in Head Start, we had a comprehensive healthcare program to give examinations to the children. And we discovered uh, many of those children who were dysfunctional and why they were dysfunctional. And we were able to get them connected with the healthcare system so that they could, you know, become the persons that they could be. Right, to, yeah, uh, to so, get to their problems Yeah, that was on. very, very important. And uh, we saw it, I mean, I saw it firsthand. Yeah. So uh, I think that's one of the most important things about Head Start was the way that we were able to really identify why children were having problems, why they were dysfunctional. Parents that didn't have health care, didn't have a, a, a primary doctor, none of that. Right. But Head Start changed their lives. Thank you. That was very important. Yeah. Nelson Mandela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's so funny because I was just looking at a picture of him yeah. uh, a few days ago. I was absolutely um, taken uh, when I learned about apartheid and what it was and how it worked. And so not only did I read a lot about it, uh, I decided uh, as a member of the California State Assembly that I was going to introduce some legislation to deal with it. This gets a little bit political, but at the time uh, that you know we were beginning to talk about what to do um, about uh, apartheid, um, I learned that there were so many businesses that were doing business in South Africa, American firms, big firms, that were doing business in South Africa. And even though they were not a part of the apartheid system, they supported it just by doing business there. And so I came up with legislation to divest. That was when you were in the California State Assembly. In the California State Assembly to divest, uh, have those firms divest 
from doing business in South Africa in the past under a Republican governor. Right, Pete Wilson. Duke Major. Oh, Duke Major. That's okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, I connected with um, people all over the country with a lot of colleges uh, and universities, and uh, they took the issue up. And they got involved in getting rid of apartheid and challenging their boards uh, uh, to, to do something about their relationships, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, of course, um, I learned a lot about the ANC, the African National Congress. I visited uh, when many of those who had been in prison were released from prison. I visited the Bantusans where people lived in, you know, nothing but cardboard and you know, ragged tents, et cetera, a very horrible existence. And so I continue to work uh, to see Nelson Mandela become president. We have been in prison for 30-something years. See him become president. And I attended um, the inauguration ceremonies and to see the planes that were part of the apartheid system do maneuvers over um, this swearing-in of this... um, this ex-prisoner who is now becoming president. And, of course, I brought him to Los Angeles Mm -hmm. where we had um, a huge uh, outpouring of people at the sports arena Mm -hmm. uh, in Los Angeles where um, he and his wife at the time, uh, Minnie um, Mandela, um, showed up. And it was just a wonderful time and a wonderful experience. And... Uh, it was a worldwide experience because so many countries were involved uh, in that effort. Yeah. There is so much about how you have lived your life that represents how he lived his life and how people that are willing to take a chance and willing to forgive and willing to open up their hearts and understanding, again, for the children and for the future, are willing to put in the time and the energy. And, and that isn't political. That's just that's just the heart and the humanity. Thank you for that. And I couldn't. I mean, I think that Nelson Mandela was one of a kind. He was an extraordinary man, and I can't even think of myself as being, you know, know. the same as he. But uh, I do have some beliefs. Uh, first of all, I believe in fairness. I believe in fairness. I believe that people should be treated fairly. Uh, that we should handle our lives in a fair manner, that we should be apologetic uh, when we have made some missteps, uh, that we should help others when we know how to help them and we're able to help them. And I just basically believe everybody deserves a decent quality of life, period. I agree. Yeah. I agree. We're going to now transition. Yes. Because that's the perfect place to leave. Yes. Um, and go a little bit into some like um, speed questions just for people to get an idea of some of your likes and dislikes perhaps. Yeah. Um, But, you know, having said that, you know, a lot of people know who you are. Yes. They call you Auntie Maxine. Yeah, they do. Because they feel like you're (laughs) one of us. Yeah. Um, and, And they also do it because you have like entered their lives as somebody that they could imagine has Sunday night dinner with them. Yes. But they may not know who you are. That's so right. that's why we're going to go with this. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, so they're just kind of fun ones okay. that we'll just go through. All right. um, I'm going to start with, I think, the easiest. You have one meal. You're on a desert island. There's one meal that you can order. What would it be? 
on a desert island, one meal that I could <laughs> order, particularly if it's surrounded by water. I want some fish. Okay. <laughs> I love right. fish. I love whitefish, and I eat it often. Yeah. Uh, different kinds of whitefish. Uh, I love that. I love chili. Um, I love eating uh, chili beans with uh, rice. Yeah. That's one of my favorites. Um, I love... Um, I love green beans, but they have to be cooked soft. Okay. You know, uh, people prepare them differently. And oftentimes, you know, you're taught uh, that you should have vegetables. If I must have vegetables, I'll take what we call string beans, green okay. beans. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Those are some of the things I like. Okay. Yeah. Um, what kind of music do you like to listen to? Oh, I'm a music person. I like it all. I This is the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. And so we're celebrating. I was just at a concert yesterday where one of my um, uh, protégés was there. Her name is Yo-Yo, and she performed. She's a little bit older now, but she's still great. She's still good. And um, what happened with uh, hip-hop, in the early days, uh, gangster rap was a part of hip-hop. Right. And so it was not accepted. Uh, our churches didn't like it. Our, you know... Mothers didn't like it. Seniors didn't like it. But I thought that this genre of music, despite the fact you may not like some of the words of it, had so much potential. And it turned out that it did. You had all of this creative young people who were um, basically recording in their homemade studios in the garages uh, and selling their music out of the back of their cars. Right. And uh, that has turned into a, a huge industry with, you know, the Beyonce's and everybody has come out of, yeah. uh, out of hip hop. And um, it has created careers. It has created a lot of jobs. And, you know, I and have. And it tells a lot of stories. Yes, a lot of stories. And that's really what, is, that to me is kind of the piece of it, is that if it, where it came from, I understand. But now and throughout its history, it's told stories that people have related that's to. That's right. Absolutely. And a lot of those stories came out of Long Beach Interesting. and Compton, mm -hmm. where they were talking about um, what they did not have yeah. and how they were treated. And, um, you know, they were they didn't know what to do about it, but they learned to sing about it and tell other people what was happening to them. Yeah. Yeah. Who would be your biggest cheerleader? It could be political. It could be somebody you work with. It could be at home, but well, could be my mother was a big cheerleader. Yeah, um, and she was ninety, I think six before she died. But when I was oftentimes invited to come to St. Louis um, on speaking engagements, etc., and if I wanted someone to uh, go and give an excuse why I couldn't be there or just to greet the people in my name, as I would ask my mother to go. And she loved it. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, she loved yeah. doing that. And, um, you know, as she grew more frail and I visited her, uh, she was in a um, nursing home. Um, and uh, when I would come, she would make all of the um, patients in the place come because my daughter's here, yeah. Maxine's <laughs> here. And she'd make them all come into the the social service room there. And um, so she was my biggest cheerleader, I do believe. I've had others along the way, mostly in politics. Yeah. Uh, in high school, 
I had lovely teachers. I had a teacher named Miss Stokes who stayed after school and taught me to play the piano a little bit. Nice. Just the two of us. Yeah. She, she just saw you. She just saw me. And I can recall she made me feel so good once when we had to turn in a notebook. And, of course, most of the students there would go out and buy, you know, a notebook with the, you know, the rings in them and mm -hmm. the paper and all of that. We didn't have any money. We had a big family. And so I made mine with uh, uh, crepe paper and, uh, you know, construction paper and all of that. And I cut out, um, you know, vegetables and fruits. And I, you know, and she took mine and she held it up. She held it up for the class. She said, you see what you can do? If you just put your mind to it, if you really want to do it, yeah. I never forget those little things. That was very nice. And that was beautiful. And then I had another teacher, Miss Carter. And Miss Carter uh, was considered in those days like an old maid, they called you, you know what I mean? But she loved teaching. Yeah. And she was a math teacher. And um, she was going to take us on a picnic. And I couldn't go because. I was one of 13 children, it was eight girls, and Saturdays was the days that we had to get our hair done, we had to get everything done. Everything Saturday was everything. So uh, I couldn't make it, and when I didn't show up, she came and got me at my house, fixed my hair, and brought me on with it. This was a teacher, Miss yeah. Carter. So I had... I had Miss Stokes, Miss Carter, Miss Vaughn. I had wonderful teachers I'll never forget. And they, they, they make a lot of difference. They really yeah, oh, inspire sure. and Oh sure. Yeah. Oh a lot of difference. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've heard from different people about teachers. Really? And and it's just seeing young people where they are yes. and giving them the strength and That's right. and giving them the understanding they can do a lot with their lives. That's right. That's and it's right. just in those moments that you build that strength. And you know we had we lived on a little street called Montrose. It was like a little town. Yeah, we all knew each other. We were in out of each other's houses. But the interesting thing about that, as I've reflected, um, you know, in later years, is that at what point in high school we had what was known as descriptive writing. They was teaching us to write, really write, and to describe. And so, on my block. My sisters and brothers and I and my friends, we had a way of what we call making fun of people. So we knew everybody. And in our little group, we would give them names. We would talk about them. And for example, we had one lady, her name was Miss Willie. And she was nosy. We called her Nosy Miss Willie. You know what I mean? And we would describe how she was nosy, how she was always asking questions, how she was always getting into your business, and on and on and on. But then I was able to use that in school in descriptive writing. Yeah. And so the neighborhood played a big part in education. Yeah. In our own way, uh, we learned to describe people. And that's what I began to write about. Yes. That's interesting. That's a good one. So about you. So what is your favorite color? Really is orange. Orange. Yes. And I didn't discover it for years. I didn't know what I really liked so much. But now I have orange curtains. I have a lot of orange because I really like orange. And it makes you happy. It makes me happy. It makes me feel good. Yeah. Orange is a very good color. I just love it. What is your zodiac sign? 
Leo. Are you by character a Leo? That's what they say. <laughs> you know, um, people describe it in different ways, and you read about it from time to time. Right. I'm not so sure that I fit it all the time, but it's supposed to be, you know, kind of aggressive and outspoken and strong and all of those things. Well, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let everyone decide for themselves, right? Um, uh, if you had to do a household chore and you had to pick your favorite one, which one would it be? It would not be dishes. <laughs> it would not, you know what I think it would be? I think it would be, first of all, choosing things from the Goodwill and from you know places where you go to buy secondhand stuff yeah. and then placing them in the house. Ah, in so decorating ways. of sorts. A little bit of decorating. And I am, you know, I've, I'm old in age now, but I've always been old in what I like. Mm-hmm. I love antiques. Yeah. And so I, in between speaking engagements, yeah. wherever I go, I'm looking to see, you know, what's interesting. And I've collected over the years everything from perfume bottles. I, co- I still have all of my uh, radios. I have the floor, Philco's. And the table ones, right. I have, I still have a lot of those, and I, so Do I. You want to tell people what a radio is? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I, I have them all throughout the house. Do they work? Yeah, oh, some wow. work. Uh, one I was just looking at does not work; it needs rewiring. Yeah. But yeah, I have a couple that really do work very Amazing. well, and old uh, uh, photographs, yeah. photographs. I have those, uh, but I like uh, going into secondhand stores and finding and. Um, um, you know, all kinds of odd places yeah. and finding odd things mm-hmm. and then placing them and giving them for gifts sometimes. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that you do if you're having a down day and you're just feeling like everything is coming down? What can you do and what kind of things do you do to get yourself back up? Well, uh, one of the things is um, look-a-loo. I like um, looking at architecture mm-hmm. and I like I I will go and look in houses that are for sale and, um, you know, look at, you know, the way that they are constructed and, you know, all of that. So I like doing that. And Washington, D.C. is a great place to, you know, experience all kind of architecture. You never, ever see enough. You never see everything. Right. Every day is almost you're noticing something you had not seen before. Uh, so I like doing that. I, I like roaming roaming if i go to uh, a vacation i don't want to just be you know where the tourists are i want to roam and look and find things and see what people are doing i like that and i like comedy i like comedy and i can relax listening to comedy and laughing and laughing oh laughing yeah. oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah and is there one place in the world that you've never been but you still want to go cuz yeah, you've been a lot of places i've been a lot of places but still there are a lot of places that i want to go um I've never been to Spain. Wow. I've never been to Spain and I want to go. I've never been to China. Wow. No. I mean, I've been to Japan. I've been, um, you know, throughout a lot of countries in Africa. You know, I've been, um, oh, I tell you, one, one, one great trip that I had, uh, it's kind of political. There's a woman who's, she's, you wouldn't know her, you were too young, called Bella Abzalk. I do know her. I'm not that young, but yeah. You heard that name yes, in New York? Do. 
Okay. Yeah. We went to Switzerland. Mm -hmm. I loved going there. And we went to confront um, the communist dictator who was there at that time in a speech or something. But yeah. yeah, I've been a lot of places, but a lot of places I still need to go. Okay. Yes. Okay, good. But I want to see the United States better. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes even in our own backyard, we don't have the opportunities to see things. No. And, you know, they have these um, antique tours and trips that you can take. Which you should take. Which I should take. Yes. And I should, you know, Rome, you go into the barns and different places, and I want to do that. Yeah. That mm -hmm. sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of at the end. Okay. Um, I could talk to you for hours because <laughs> you have so many amazing stories. <laughs> and, um, and I'm so excited for others to hear your stories okay. because really, truly, stories really inform. Yeah. We talked about it with hip hop, yeah. but it really brings us together. Yes, it does. Um, so the last question that I've asked other people in your world um, is, and I always think that people have different views and it's beautiful, but the idea of joy. What is your definition of joy? What brings you joy? And how do you spread joy? How do you share it? Because as I started at the beginning, um, we, do, we have a tendency as a society to spread things that are negative. It's just, and we need to push the pendulum to the other side and spread joy. Well, you know, my definition of joy is not having a lot of worries mm -hmm. uh, and not be overburdened uh, with um, thoughts and the need to um, do things that you haven't done uh, and to worry about things that you shouldn't worry about. I did finally come to the point where make a decision about what you can do something about and do it. But don't just worry about it. So I think joy is being comfortable, uh, having a nice time with friends and family, yeah. having some good food, and listening to some good music, yeah. and um, seeing other people happy, and laughing. Yes, I think that's joy. I agree. <laughs> and I think that we need more and more of that. All the things that you've just included in the recipe. and. And I also, I want to thank you because first sharing your stories, yeah. sharing yourself with our, with our yeah. country, um, but also on behalf of so many children who you have, when you were actually physically working at Head Start, yes. but through your yes. career, what you've done, because yes. it's, it turns out to be so many people whose lives have been affected by good work and mostly children. And I go back to the children because you really nailed down yes. into us yes. what is so important about yes. uh, listening to children and understanding what their differences are. That's right. And then you had these teachers who also were there for you That's right. and understood what you needed. That's right. And I am sure in many things that you do today, you go back to a mother that was wonderful, siblings right. that encourage you, a That's community, right. Right. and and then your education. Yes. So I, I want to thank you, and I, I hope that you know through this, people will find joy and they will find some good <laughs> laughter. Um, but just thank you for being who you are, Maxine. Okay, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.